0: Welcome everybody to our 10 o'clock service, uh, everyone in the room, everybody joining us online. Thanks so much for being a part of our service today. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry it's warm in here, okay? Um, we, uh, the best, to our best guess is that there's a power surge in the area and it's not a uh, equipment failure, but our computer programming that operates our thermostats has gone down. We've reset them, but they are just coming on slowly. So there's six air conditions that cool this room and uh, so far only two of them have come back online. So I'm really sorry about that. As hot as you are, I guarantee you my heart's pumping about 110 beats a minute, and I'm even hotter up here. I'm so upset about this. So if you're a guest, oh man, what a great first impression. If you're a guest, you know, you got, if you're a man, just pull that shirt, you got a t-shirt on, that's okay. No bare skin, please, today. But other than that, just do what you got to do. We we took one song out of the worship set. I'm going to preach so fast today, it's going to it's going to make your head spin, so I don't want you to be any more uncomfortable than uh, you already are. A couple of things real quick as we get started, you're, you're going to hear more about this, but this weekend is the beginning of our uh, kickoff of, of, for registrations for our new season of home groups. And this is a really important thing for us, we really want all of our folks to be connected to a home group for so many different reasons, uh, because uh, there's no better way to be connected to the life of the church than being in a home group. Uh, You get to grow spiritually in community with other believers every week when you meet. You get to take the weekend message, because all of our lessons are based on the weekend message. You get to take it to a deeper level, a more practical level in your life. And another really important thing, and this is near to my heart, is that, you know, if you're not connected to the life of the church somehow, like through a home group, then we really have difficulty sometimes caring for you and shepherding you and comforting you as you go through difficult times, because we don't always know about what's going on in your life. I've been the pastor of a really small church. I mean really small, and I've been the pastor of a really large church. And I can tell you, when I was the pastor of a small church, I took care of everybody because there weren't that many people. So, if there was a sickness, there was a death, there was a, a crisis, uh, some kind of a need in your life, I was there. I was at the hospital. I was at your home. I took care of everybody. There's just no way I can do that in a church this size. And so, we really need you to be connected in ways that help you receive the care and the comfort and the shepherding that you need at different times in your life. And one of the best ways to do that is by being in a home group. You can learn more about that in the commons. And uh, as I said, you're going to hear more about that later in the service. The second thing I want to mention real quickly, and you'll hear about this also, is next weekend is back to school weekend. It's a special weekend here where we uh, recognize, celebrate, honor, and pray for all of our students as they go back to school and all of our teachers administrators, people who serve children in any capacity throughout the school year. So it's a great, great, easy way to invite somebody to church. If you know somebody who has um, uh, a job like that or a role like that, then we would invite you to uh, invite them to be a part of our service next week. They won't be disappointed and neither will you. All right, that wasn't much of a sermon uh, introduction, but we are continuing to work our way verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew in a study called Let's Talk About Jesus. We're in Matthew chapter 7, so let's go ahead and stand together in reverence and respect for God's Word like we always do. And our text this weekend, great, great passage of Scripture, one that I'm sure is familiar to almost all of us, is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. You follow along this morning as I read Matthew chapter 7. Verses 7 through 12. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. Several years ago, and many of you who are here this morning will remember this, several years ago, a man named Robert Fulgham wrote a best-selling book that was simply called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Uh, The idea came to him, interestingly, the idea came to him one day when he was putting gas in his car. He was standing at the gas tank, pumping the gas, and he just kind of had this idea, this realization that life doesn't really have to be as complicated as it is because all that's really necessary for a meaningful life is very simple. In fact, it's so simple, most of us learned it when we were in kindergarten. And so he wrote about those things in his book, and in his book, uh, he writes uh, about things like as simple as play fair, share, flush, take a nap every afternoon. And he says, and when you go into the world, hold hands and stick together. Very simple message. That book and the simple message, that book came to mind this week when I was putting this message together because there's one single, very simple verse of Scripture in our text that I really want to talk about today. It's verse 12, one of the most famous, the most well-known sayings of Jesus, something that's often referred to as the golden rule It's something that I can tell you that I learned. I learned the truth of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 when I was just a very small child in Sunday school, and it stayed with me all of these years because it's so simple to understand and so easy to remember. This is what Jesus said. He said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you because this sums up the law and the prophets, or for this sums up the law and the prophets. And I'm telling you, folks, I'm convinced this morning that all of us could experience a great deal of spiritual blessing and a great deal of spiritual abundance in our lives if we would just simply follow that simple rule or that simple instruction. And when I talk about abundance and I talk about blessing, I'm not talking about that in terms of things. I'm talking about it in terms of the quality of life that we live, the quality of our spiritual lives. So, I want to talk to you about that this morning, but I got to begin, since that's verse 12 of our text, I got to begin in verse 7 and work my way there. I discovered a couple of things this week as I was putting this message together. First of all, I discovered uh, that there's not a single passage of Scripture in all the Bible that I have spent more time in my life reading and studying than the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's where we are in our text. Uh, or our study, our journey through Matthew so far and the Sermon on the Mount. We're about halfway through uh, Matthew chapter 7, so we're almost finished with the Sermon on the Mount. You'd know that that was the passage that I've looked at more than any other if you came up here and took a close look at my Bible this morning because the pages for Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are just barely hanging on in my Bible, and they're frayed and they're ripped and then torn. In some cases, more than once, I've got the pages taped together with scotch tape. This is an incredible passage of Scripture, it's got incredible truth, and every time I read it, I learn something new. The second thing I discovered this week in my study for this message is that I've never really paid much attention to the fact that the very first word of verse 12, where we get what we call the golden rule, that great instruction from Jesus, but the very first word of verse 12 is the word, so. In my NIV study Bible this morning, that's what I'm reading from. The first word of verse 12 is the word, so. Now, I'm not sure how I missed that over the years, probably because I always just focused my attention on the part of the verse where Jesus gives us the golden rule, or maybe because I always just considered the golden rule, Matthew 7 and verse 12, to be a standalone verse. But it's not. It's not. That word, so, a better translation would probably be the word, therefore, or even the word, so then. In fact, that's probably the way it's written in many of the Bibles that you're reading from this morning. That word, so, is important because, just like the word, therefore, or just like the word, so, then, it's a bridge for us that takes us back to a statement or a truth that has previously been made. And so, you can't really view verse 12 and the golden rule as a standalone verse because that word, so, connects it back to what Jesus has just said. And what Jesus has just said, and this is verses 7 through 11, if I were to summarize it, is this. Jesus has said, be persistent in prayer because God, who is our perfect, loving Father in heaven, wants to give good gifts to us when we ask. So therefore, so then, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the Law and the Prophets. And So here's how we need to understand the text that we're looking at today, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Jesus is saying, since God is so very good to you, and the goodness of God is described in verses 7 through 11, and His willingness as our Father in heaven to give us good gifts when we ask. Since God is so very good to you, then you need to be good to others by treating them in the same way that you would like them to treat you. Now, I hope that makes sense. I hope that you can connect those dots because I don't have time to give any further explanation than that. What I'm really saying is that if you study the words of our text this morning, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, and you study them in context, you can't separate verse 12 from verses 7 through 11 because verse 12 is the conclusion or the result, rather, of what Jesus is saying in verses 7 through 11. So here's what I want to do. I really want to talk to you about the practical application of verse 12 and what it means to follow the golden rule, (coughs) excuse me, what it means to treat other people in the same way that you would want them to treat you. But I can't do that until I talk to you about verses 7 through 11. So we're going to do that first. I'm going to put them back up on the screen, even though we just read them a moment ago. And by the way, I want to apologize for the fact that there's no real outline in your bulletin this morning. If you've been going to church here for any length of time, you know that's really unusual. But here's the truth. I don't have an outline for this message today. I'm not just shooting from the hip. I'm very prepared. But I don't have an outline. So if you're somebody who likes to take notes, here's my best advice. If something sounds important, it probably is important, so write it down, okay? And I might try to prompt you along the way uh, to help you remember that. But let's, let's think about these words. I'll just read them from the screen this morning. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. I love those words. I do. I absolutely love those words. I love them along with all the other really bold promises that Jesus makes in the gospels related to prayer. And there are other passages that are similar to this. I love these words. But if I'm going to be totally honest with you this morning, I would have to tell you that while I love those words, they often leave me feeling conflicted. They make absolute sense to me. They make complete sense to me. When it comes to God who is our heavenly Father, when it comes to God who is the source of all things for us, we need to ask, and we need to seek, and we need to knock. And we need to be persistent about that. In fact, if you were to study these words, especially verses 7 through 8, in the original language of the New Testament, you would see that these statements are written in the present imperative tense. So what that means is Jesus is literally saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And we need to know that because God is our perfect and loving father in heaven, he wants, everyone say wants, he wants to give us good gifts. And I take that to mean he wants to give us what we seek or even better. This makes absolute, complete and perfect sense to me from the perspective of a father, because I'm a father and as a father, I really want to give good gifts to my children. And because I'm a grandfather now, I want to give good gifts to my grandchildren. In fact, there's really few things in life, honestly, that bring more joy to me than giving gifts to my children and my grandchildren. I mean few things in life. I love the opportunity to give them gifts. Are you familiar with Amazon Prime Day? We just had Amazon Prime Day. Now, I didn't know about this for a long time because I'm just really not very technically savvy. But when I discovered what Amazon Prime Day was, I'm like, woohoo, man, this is the coolest thing ever. And so this year, it was a portion of July, uh, July 11th or, and July 12th. And so I'm on the, my phone and I'm texting, uh, and Sandy's on the phone. We're texting our kids, both Andrew and Tricia and, and Kara, our daughter-in-law, saying, hey, it's Amazon Prime Day. We want to do some early Christmas shopping. What do you want? And their birthdays are all later in the year, Kara's is in November, Andrew's is in December, and Grace's is in December, and Jack's in December, and I told them if they had another December baby, I was disowning all of them. And so I'm saying, Let, I'm just going to load up. I'm going to load up on Amazon Prime Day, and Andrew sent me te- — this is just the way Andrew is — Andrew sent me texts text, and, he's, and reluctantly he's given me a list of things, and then after everything he says, but you don't have to buy me anything. And I want to text back and say, just shut up and keep them coming. And then I start seeing things that I think, oh, Grace would love that. Oh, Jack would love that. And then I see these things on Amazon Prime Day that Andrew has mentioned that he, he might uh, like to have for Grace and Jack. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to buy those. And I call him up and he says, no, nah, I kind of decided that maybe I don't want to get that for them. And I'm saying, I don't care, I'm going to get them anyway. Now, if, if that's the way I am, as an imperfect, I mean, absolutely imperfect father and grandfather, Then how much more does God, who is our perfect Heavenly Father, delight in giving good gifts to us as His children? I'm telling you, friends, these words make absolute, complete sense to me. God delights in giving gifts to His children when they ask. And yet, here's my conflict. Sometimes I grow weary in praying. I grow weary in prayer. Sometimes I grow weary in waiting for God to answer, and I'm tempted to give up, and it causes me to have conflicted feelings. An example of that would be that I can tell you this morning with integrity that I love God, I love God with all my heart, but I don't understand His slowness, or I don't understand what at times seems like his reluctance in answering my prayers, especially when I examine those prayers and I know that they're not coming from selfish motives and I know that they're in line with what his will is for people, his children, when it comes to life and living. Jesus in this text says, everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. I believe in those words, I trust those words because I believe in Jesus and I trust Jesus in all things, but sometimes I'm like, when is this going? to happen." And I seriously doubt that I'm the only one here this morning who's ever felt that way. So how are we to understand these words? These words that first and foremost describe to us the goodness of God, who is our Father in heaven, who delights in giving good gifts to His children. When they ask, how are we to understand these words? Well, I just looked at them and I just broke them down in a real simple form, and let me just tell you three things real quickly, and these are probably good things to write down. Uh, if we start at the very beginning, we have to understand that these words are exclusively for believers. Exclusively for believers. That's clear from Jesus' reference to God as our Father in heaven. That implies a relationship. And the word everyone in verse 7, or verse 8 rather, when Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives. That word everyone there is referring to everyone who belongs to God. Everyone who can, say, who can genuinely say from their heart that God is their heavenly Father. And that's not the case for everyone. Now, of course, I hope that you know that there's only one way that that can happen. There's only one way that you can know that you belong to God. There's only one way that you can say in your heart that God is your heavenly Father, and that's by coming to a place in your life where you choose to put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's why Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, everyone say no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way this can happen. And if you've never surrendered your life in complete faith and trust to Christ, then these, this promise is not for you. I'm not saying that God's not going to listen to or hear your prayers. As he is, especially your prayer for salvation. You're, you're calling out to him for forgiveness, but this, these bold promises they 're exclusively for believers, the second thing that I notice when I really study this passage is that this promise is for those, not just for believers, but this promise is for those those believers who are living in obedience and submission to the will of God to the will of the Father. One of the most important rules we always talk about studying the bible we we put a big emphasis on studying the Bible one of the most imp- and we talk about sometimes studying the Bible by impl- uh, applying sound rules or principles of interpretation so that we study it correctly. One of the most important rules of interpretation when it comes to studying the Bible is this rule. Write this down. We interpret the Bible with the Bible. We interpret the Bible with the Bible. What that means is you take a subject like prayer, for example, and that makes sense because we're talking about asking and seeking and knocking. We're talking about presenting our requests to God, you take a subject like prayer, you can't just pick and choose one or two verses in the Bible about prayer and develop your theology, your belief about prayer based on one or two verses. You've got to consider all of the verses and everything that the Bible has to say about prayer. You've got to put it all together. And so while the the Bible, and these words are a good example, these words here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, while the Bible makes several bold promises about prayer, the Bible also tells us, that there can be restrictions to prayer and God's answering of prayer at different times in our lives. Let me show you one example. I'm going to put the words of 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22 up on the screen. Now, this isn't Jesus speaking. This is the apostle John writing, and he says, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. Another really bold promise about prayer. We have confidence before God and receive anything we ask, but the verse doesn't end there. Because he goes on to say, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. We have confidence when we pray. We believe we can have the answer to our prayer because, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Now, listen to me close. The Bible never presents prayer as some kind of a blank check with God And anyone who tells you otherwise is giving you false information, is giving you false teaching. The quality of your spiritual life, and when I say spiritual life, I'm talking about your faithfulness and your obedience to the instruction of God and your willingness to submit to the will of God. The quality of your spiritual life is a critical factor when it comes to answered prayer. We cannot ignore that truth. We can't. You can't ignore God in your life. You can't put God low on the priority list when He demands first place. You can't live in open and willful, knowing disobedience to the instruction of God's Word and think that this everyone who asks receives promise is going to work for you in your life. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way. The third thing I wrote down is this. Whatever you do, don't give up in prayer. Don't quit praying don't give up when it comes to prayer. And I say that not because, you know, we come to this position where we just resign ourselves. Well, I got no other choice. I might as well keep praying. We do that because we remind ourselves that we really do have a Father in heaven who loves us and who is perfect and who wants, wants to give good gifts to His children when they ask. So don't give up on prayer. Don't do it. Even though sometimes it's so easy to feel tempted to do that don't do it. And let me just tell you this. Let me tell you what I think is a great benefit of persisting in prayer that we don't often think of. But when we persist in prayer, and I can give you examples of this if I had time for my own life personally, but when we persist in prayer, there are two things that are going to happen. God's going to use our persistence in prayer to refine us and to refine what we ask for. And that's a great blessing from God. I heard somebody say it like this once. When you persist in prayer, what God's going to do Oftentimes, before he answers your prayer, is he's going to change the prayer, and he's going to change the prayer, and that's what he does. He refines us. He makes us more right. He makes us more righteous. He makes what we ask for more right. He makes what we ask for more righteous. He works in our lives, so don't give up when it comes to prayer. Don't do it. Don't do it. Well, listen i could say a whole lot more about that but you know i told you earlier i i really that's verses 7 through 11. i really want to talk about verse 12 and i haven't even gotten there yet so let's spend our remaining few minutes focused on verse 12. i'm going to put it back up on the screen just like i did verses 7 through 11. And I want us to look at it again, but this time read it with me. Let me hear your voices. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I'm telling you, friends, this is not just one of the most significant statements in the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the most significant statements in all the Bible. And the first thing I will tell you about this is that Jesus is not being a hundred percent original with these words. I say that because there was a form of these words that was already common among the Jewish people that Jesus was speaking to. The Jewish rabbi Hillel was known for saying it like this, what is hateful to yourself, do to no other. The book of Tobit, in Tobit chapter 4 and verse 15, which was an ancient book of instruction that the Jews were familiar with, it was written like this, do to no one what you yourself dislike. Now. Both of those statements are different than what Jesus said, and they're different primarily in that they're written, the command or the instruction is given, and it's stated in the negative form. And you could summarize both of them by saying this. Jesus is saying, don't do to someone else what you wouldn't want them to do to you. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes along, and he takes that statement, that that familiar phrase, and he spins it. He puts a positive spin on it, and he says it like this. So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now the command in its original form, the command in its negative form, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them do to you. That's just something that everybody should understand. That's just a common sense statement that makes life more peaceful. It's just good manners in a sense. If you want to live a relatively conflict-free life, then here's something you do. Don't do, any, don't do something to someone else that you wouldn't want them to do to you. You want to just get by in life? If you just want to do the bare minimum in life when it comes to our personal reactions or interactions with other people, then follow the negative form of the command. It does require some level of thoughtfulness. It does require some level of consideration, but not a lot. Here's how that negative form of the command might be lived out in your life. Let's say you're walking down the street one day and you see somebody in front of you fall. They stumble and they fall. And so as you, approach, as you approach them, you say to yourself, you ask yourself this, now if that had been me who had fallen, if I had fallen down, what would I not want someone to do to me? And then you begin to answer it like this. You'd say, well, I wouldn't want them to laugh at me or make fun of me because I fell. I wouldn't want If I fell and I, I really injured myself or I was somehow debilitated and unable to move. I wouldn't want someone to take advantage of me. And so, as we walk toward that person, we don't do to them the things that we've already decided we wouldn't want someone to do to us, and then we just continue on our way. Now, I could give you other examples, but I think you get the point. If you live by this rule and you don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, at the end of the day, you could say, at the very least, you're a pretty decent person. But when it comes to dealing with other people, when it comes to personal interactions, you're just doing the minimum. So let me ask you this. How many of you know that Jesus always expects more from us than the minimum? Always. And that's a truth that we've seen over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. How many times in the Sermon on the Mount have we read a passage where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, or it is written, and he says one thing, but he's, and then he says, but I say. And what he does every time is what? He raises the bar on his expectation of our life and our obedience and our behavior. Jesus never expects just the minimum. And so he comes along in this world where people are just, I'm, I don't, don't do to someone else what you don't want them to do to you. He comes along and says, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And that instruction is lived out very differently in our lives. Let's go back to our example. Let's say you're walking down the road, and you see someone who has fallen down in front of you, and this time you say to yourself, if that were me, and I had fallen down, what would I want someone to do for me? And you think, I would want them to pick me up. I would want them to brush me off. I would want them to say a kind word, empathize with me, maybe diffuse the situation so I don't feel so stupid, maybe say something like, I did that last week, or I do that all the time. And if I was really hurt and really injured, I would want them to stay with me, and I would want them to get help for me so that I could move on with my life and get the assistance that I need. So instead of just deciding I'm not going to take advantage of the person or I'm not going to kick them when they're down, you say, I'm going to make every effort possible to help them and to pick them up. And that kind of commitment to relational living changes every area of our life. It makes makes a dramatic difference in the way that we live and our interactions with other people. Now, I don't know everybody that's here this morning, personally, I certainly don't know everybody who's watching online, but I'm sure most all of us have already made some level of commitment in our lives to live by that traditional version of the statement, the negative version of the statement, in that I'm sure that all of us are doing our best not to do to someone else what we wouldn't want them to do to us. But remember, Jesus challenges us through the golden rule, through Matthew 7, 12, to take that instruction or take that commitment to life a step further, and in everything, do to others what we would want them to do to us. So the question for us becomes, how do we do that? How do we live out the instruction of Matthew 7 and verse 12 on a practical basis? How do I put the golden rule into practice in my life? Again, I just wrote three things down in my notes, and I would encourage you to write these down. And I'm going to start with the most basic thing. The first thing is we just need to take the time to think about how we want others to treat us. Think about how you want others to treat you. That's a, that's a no-brainer, don't you think? If I'm going to put this, this instruction in practice, I'm going to live out the golden rule, the first thing I need to do is I need to th- if I'm going to treat others the way I want them to treat me, I need to think about how I want people to treat me. We need to find a quiet time, a quiet place, and just maybe make a list. Now, as I sat there in my office and I put this together, I thought to myself, well, I want people to treat me with kindness, whether, I've, whether I just met them or I've known them all my life. Wouldn't you want to say the same thing? I want people to treat me with respect. I want, pre- I want people, you know, to be kind and respectful and those things. But then I started thinking about this with regard to people that I know deeply, people who know me the best, from my family down to people that I've had relationships with for years and years. And I thought to myself, well, I want people who really know me well to always challenge me to be my best. I want people to always challenge me to excel in everything that I do, to to challenge me to never settle for just getting by or just doing the bare minimum, but to always be striving to be the best possible person I could be, the best husband, the best father, the best grandfather, the best pastor, the best preacher, the best friend, whatever it might be. And then I thought, I want people who know me the best to hold me accountable. I want people who really know me the best, who love me, I want them to notice when my life is going south. I want them to notice when I'm making decisions that are not good for me, or not good for my family, that are potentially negative or harmful to other people. And I want them to love me enough to speak into my life when that's happening. To be bold enough to say, listen, I love you, and the last thing I want is for our relationship to have anything that damages it, but I got to tell you, what you're doing is wrong. It's not good for you, and it's not good for your family, it's not good for your church or whatever the application might be. And I thought, then I want the people who know me the best to be willing to forgive me when I do stupid things. When I come to them and say, I'm sorry, have you ever done anything stupid in your life? Have you ever hurt somebody, you didn't intend to do it, but you did? And when I come to them after doing that and say, I'm sorry that I did that, please forgive me. I want them to be willing to forgive me. I want people to be willing to give me a second chance because sometimes I make mistakes. And I want people to love and care about me enough to take the time to understand where I'm at in my life and to empathize with me in difficult times and on and on and on. Now listen. That's a list of things I made just up off the top of my head. What would you say? We're going to live out the golden rule. If we're going to live out this instruction of Jesus and treat other people the way that we want them to treat us, then we need to think about how we want other people to treat us. The second thing I wrote down is this. Once we do that, once we have our our list or our, our thoughts together, we need to look for ways to model that attitude toward other people. I mean, what good is it for me to make a list of all the ways that I want other people to treat me so that I can treat them that way if I don't look for ways to do that. And the problem with this is that most of us, not all of us certainly, but so many of us, and, and I can be guilty of this in my life because I can get pretty narrow in my focus, So much, so much of the time we just think about ourselves. You don't even have to be a narcissistic or selfish person to be that way. It's just the reality of life in this sinful fallen world. A lot of times we just think about ourselves. We're just we're just focused only on ourselves. And the way that we're going to live out the golden rule, the way that we're going to live out this instruction for Jesus is just being willing to get our eyes off ourselves and start to look around at other people so that I see somebody who needs to be treated the way I want them to treat me. You know, I talk to people all the time who are discouraged, and I talk to people all the time who are lonely in their life, and I talk to people all the time who have other kinds of emotional needs or issues in their life, and I'm, I'm empathetic to that. I pray for them. I care about them. I try to counsel them and encourage them. But here's the deal. Oftentimes, i found over the years that when I'm discouraged, the best thing I can do is to find somebody else who's discouraged and encourage them. And in the process, my life gets better. Or if I'm feeling lonely or neglected, and I think people are not caring about me, then I find somebody else who's lonely or feeling neglected, and I try to make a difference in their life, and that makes a difference for me. The third thing I wrote down is this. We need to make this. I'm talking about Matthew 7, 12, what we call the golden rule, treating other people the way we want them to treat us. We need to make this the primary relational goal of our spiritual lives. So my instruction to you, my encouragement to you is make this the primary relational goal of your spiritual life. You know, it's interesting that Jesus concludes this section of Scripture by saying that this this idea of treating other people the way that you want them to treat you sums up all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets. And honestly, friends, we could spend a lot of time talking about what that means, exactly what that means, but let me just try to make it really simple this morning. It means that Jesus is telling us that one of the most crucial aspects of genuine spirituality, if not the most crucial aspect is found in how we treat others. One of, if not the most crucial aspect of spirituality, what I mean by that is living a truly, genuinely, authentic spiritual life is found in how we treat other people. And so following this instruction, following this rule, the golden rule, should be the primary relational goal of our spiritual lives. What difference would it make in your life if beginning right now today, you went forward and you said, in all my interactions, to the best of my ability, none of us are going to do this perfectly because we're still sinful, fallen, fallible people who are doing our best. But if you went forward and you say, to the best of my ability, from here on out in my life, I'm going to do everything I can to treat other people the way that I want them to treat me. I'm going to notice people and treat them the way that I want them to treat me. I think it would be incredibly significant. I think it would change the trajectory of our spiritual lives and it would open the door, as I mentioned earlier, to a great deal of spiritual blessing and abundance. Again, not in terms of things, but in terms of the quality of our spiritual lives. This is the instruction of Jesus. And so, when we think about Matthew chapter seven, verses seven through 11, the truth that Jesus communicates is so simple. He says, listen, here's what I want you to know. Because God is so very good to you, and He is. Somebody say, God is good. God is good, and He is. Because God is so very good to you, you be good to others. And here's a simple way to do it.